0: Coming up on the Life is a Festival podcast. I was imagining that all of this kind of fraught attempt to figure out who I was as a sexual being and how I'd projected that onto this lover who'd rejected me, that she would heal me, um, and how I tried to go into Vipassana to like sit quietly until the answer came forth for me. My vision was iboga the master pattern breaker one of the most arduous and sophisticated medicines known to man is going to cut through my very being and it will show me why i am held in this way why am i in this vice of unexpressed erotic destiny and so i went to gabon Life is a Festival, only to the wise. Ralph Waldo Emerson. This is Eamon Armstrong, your host of the Life is a Festival podcast. Join me for a series of conversations exploring our collective wisdom to inspire a bold courage for life. Welcome to Life is a Festival tomorrow, it's my birthday. And so this week on the podcast, my guest is myself. Or rather, I'm sharing my friend's podcast, on which I was a guest. The podcast is called Life Rights, and my episode with them comes out on Monday. It's a new podcast started by my former producer, Ari Anderson, and actor Max Carver, about rites of passage in the modern world. On the podcast, Max and Ari explore the stages of the hero's journey as outlined by Joseph Campbell in his famous book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. I was honored to be one of their first guests, sharing my story of embarking on the Mount Everest of shamanic journeys, the psychedelic plant medicine, Iboga, which I took as part of an initiation with the Bwiti people in Gabon. On the Life Rights podcast, I share my journey from the very first invitation to adventure, through my 10 days of silent meditation, which is also called Vipassana, to writing in Bali, a speaking tour on masculinity in Australia, and suffering a broken heart and a broken ego in India, I finally make my way to Gabon in the Congo Basin for 10 days of shamanic ritual, which is the climax of our tale. I really hope you enjoy this story. It's my life as a festival and as a rite of passage. My deepest thanks to Max and Ari for creating this excellent new podcast. Be sure to check it out at liferightspodcast.com. <laughs> you See, this is why That's why, why, why you gotta be recording the pre. Because <laughs> the pre is when you realize my, you know, disdain for Joseph Campbell. No, I'm just kidding. I like him. I just, you know, the frame is just, it fits too snug.
1: <laughs> he really uh he 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 got it pretty right
0: in terms of uh looking at looking at journeys. You know, he got it right, but also it's one of those things where and maybe this is like a postmodern literary critique kind of thing. Maybe that's the case in this, but like he got it right, but did he get it right or is it that now we've filtered so much through this hero's journey lens that he 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 picked things from mm-hmm myths around the world to create his monomyth but um, and he he was identifying patterns but he was also identifying patterns with bias like when I read Joseph Campbell's um, what's the book that it's it's, a, it's about his life um, uh, it's it's uh, the hero with a thousand faces is is the one where the hero's journey comes from but this one's about his life and in it um, there's an episode of a woman confronting him about the hero's journey being skewed towards men mm. Um and if you look at Joseph Campbell, it's like, yeah, he's a creature of his times. His hero's journey stuff is definitely skewed towards men. 100%. And, and there, of course, there's interesting things about how men need rites of passage in a way that women don't. Um, I feel that this is a truth. Mm-hmm. I feel I, and we can get into the, these beliefs. But when I read about—I was reading that book, and I literally stopped reading the book when I got to the part about um, just how much it was focused on men. I was just
2: like, okay, Joseph— You're such a dude. But, you know, what's interesting is in in what I've read that he's written, he always talks about how the the Judeo-Christian tradition lacks the feminine energy in it. It's been – feminine energy has been incorporated in in Mexico with the Virgin Mary and in other cultures, but in general that it's a purely patriarchal religion. And when he talks about the world tree or that moment of, like, integration where where everything comes together – in terms of the monomyth it is the union between masculine and feminine so i like i know we're saying he's a product of his time but from how he wrote about the judeo-christian tradition like he was very much aware how much damage and wreckage that that belief that it's a, a masculine god has affected cult, infected and affected culture so i i fully agree with you but like well, that's kind of what we're interested in is like how do we take that information or the idea of the monomyth, translate it into our own lives. And, and for me, it's always been, I think I know what journey I'm on and what I need to do. And then I hit this ordeal where I am completely unprepared, have no skills. I need to ask for help. The help appears and then I have to go through the thing. I have to go through the thing and I have to face the dragon, which ultimately is myself. Like they you're always, saying, they always are. It always is. <laughs> dragons always are. It's always the cave that I don't want to go to, which is myself.
0: Well, yeah, and and to your point, you don't. The ordeal as it approaches is disorienting because if you knew anything about it, it wouldn't be the opportunity for growth that it is. Right. So you know, the very right. fact that your toolkit is not is it, not appropriate to the task at hand. I mean, if you, I think if you're living a rich, blossoming life, your toolkit is almost never appropriate to the task <laughs> at hand, because you're constantly like, wait, I, I have a I hammer. and I don't, a, do I, don't, yeah. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. There's so much to talk about. Well, let's have an introduction then. So,
1: Max, you want to you wanna take us through this thing?
2: Yeah. So, I'm, I'm here with Eamon. I'm going to take this back. I'm here with Eamon and Ari. Uh, my name is Max Carver. Uh, we do a podcast called Life Rights, where we talk about rites of passage in our own lives, kind of modern adventure stories focused on a particular episode in our life where we faced an ordeal that was challenging, that made us question our identity, and ultimately we return with some kind of reward or elixir that has given us a sense of purpose. So we're not really interested in a whole life story. We're interested in a particular part of that story that changed your life and has informed your life,
1: and we've sort of decided to base the this questioning around this idea of the hero's journey that we've talked about because it's sort of is like this model that that a lot of people are familiar with in sort of synthesizing stories and rites of passage into experiences that we can learn something from. so so, as we ask you these questions about this experience that, that you've had, um, they will be within the context of the different sort of segments of this hero's journey.
0: I'm down for it. And I think it's interesting. That the frame itself is interesting because I was aware of that frame and that frame was influential in the experience that I went through. Oh, wow. Oh, so very, very meta. <laughs> yeah, very, very meta. So my favorite Joseph Campbell quote is um, that we needn't, I wish I had in front of me. Do you know this quote that we needn't follow, follow, step into the maze alone for the heroes of all time have gone before us. And where we thought we would find an abomination, we will find a God. Mm. And where we thought we would slay another, we will slay ourselves. And where we thought we would be alone, we would be one with all the world. So that quote actually influenced, like I wasn't, I wasn't, my call to adventure was, it was interesting. I had a specific call to adventure that I'll tell you about in the course of this, but I was doing a hero's journey thing. Like I was like, this is my hero's journey time. (laughs) (laughs) The the company was sold. I had a, not my, I didn't own the company, but the company was sold by Chip Conley. And, um, I was like, I have a wide open, got some runway to explore myself. I want to write a book. And I, I'm here. I go like, let, the rite of passage, Let the rites of passage begin. And, um, it's so, there's a lot of meta stuff. I, I actually sat down with, um, a guy named Arnie Rubenstein in Australia who does a rite of passage institute for young men in Australia. So actually facilitates rites of passage. Well, wow. on my rite of passage, um, <laughs> I met. So there's, I can, I'll, we'll be meta this whole time. We'll, we'll, uh, this we'll might be. be the perfect yeah. first podcast. Because no, that, <laughs> we have,
2: this is an ordeal in and of itself. It's, we have no idea what we're doing. Well,
0: well, you, well, you, Max, don't know me yet. Ari knows me well. So Ari knows that this will be an ordeal. <laughs> of course. <laughs> no, was, I, I knew that this would be the perfect first
1: episode for us because. Because of how familiar you are with the hero's journey itself, I just based on who you are, I know that you know this sort of intrinsically. And yeah, I think, I think this, will, so let's just get into this. Um, before we do that, I would like for you to set the table, if you will, um, with two things. One, can you describe sort of the 30,000 foot of, of the experience that we're going to be encapsulating here today, number one? And after you do that, can you sort of drop us into where you were when all this started? Sure. Yeah.
0: So my quest for my, my scope of self-inquiry, like many are, was based on a wound. And the wound that I had was around my sexuality is around my sexuality and it is the wound that i was unable to orgasm and so i was unable to get married that was my that was my lived experience i i had such rich intoxicating sexual fantasies and i felt so stuck in my actual expression and i was in love with a woman really amazing person. And I'm super excited that she and I are close friends now. Um, but we were supposed to be married. And um, that was the big white picket fence kind of plan of make it all work. And then you'll win the game by having the thing and the family and whatnot. And I, I ultimately had to step back from that because I was not fully embodied as a sexual being. And I wanted to It was a call. That was a call to adventure in my in my being. There was something in me that was stuck and needed release, and I needed to go find the answer to that. Um, And then i uh, I met a fellow in. Well, we can. I think we're going to get into this the call to adventure piece. So let me give a more thirty thousand feet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I went. I spent a year traveling the world, and I went through a series of intentional rites of passage. Like I intended them to be rites of passage, Mm. Um, culminating with a initiation with the Bwiti people in Gabon in the Congo basin um, doing a shamanic ritual, um, a full initiation, including the, um, the plant Iboga, um, which to speak of Ardur, this is an arduous medicine, Iboga. And um, that the journey that took me there was a hero's journey, the experience in the chamber within the initiation. I spent five days in a chamber um, was very much the cave, very, 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 very much the f- sort of battle with the dragon that is yourself. And then the, my homecoming was, um, interestingly, brought me back to my hometown and my father and kind of brought this all back into a full kind of return. So I was aware of the hero's journey and so in part, I was authoring my own hero's journey. I, I was writing at the time, and in fact, I'm, um, I'm finishing a book about this experience. And I was giving talks about modern masculinity, and I was very aware of the need for rites of passage to allow men to understand their identity. As This is one of my key lessons I've learned in my life, which is we, <clears throat> in Western culture, so much is oppositionally constructed i am my understanding of myself is so much about my understanding of what the other is um uh, this is like critical race theory is like this you know whiteness is not whiteness whiteness is 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 characterizing blackness in a certain way and then defining by negation against it and so we um define masculinity as the non-feminine and we actually perform masculinity so you know when you're a little boy with a key phrase that I rep- represent this a lot with is "boys don't cry." What is a what is a man? Someone who does not cry, mm-hmm. um, and this <clears throat> this limits our emotional literacy. This this holds us back in a lot of ways. This framework of being a man, and so something that I was working with is this idea: let us no longer be men who are men because we are not women, but let us be men who are men because we are no longer boys. And if mm-hmm. we are no longer boys, fuck. What is, (laughs) that's my frame, right? So, and the threshold we cross is the rite of passage. Um, Jordan Peterson, who I know some people scoff at, I find some of his ideas very compelling and some not. Um, I was listening to him on a podcast talking about the rite of passage. And he says that, you know, when they send you to that cave, all manner of horrible things are gonna come and visit you. Some real and some imagined. But you know that for the week you are in that cave, the nightmares are going to come to you. And on the other side, you will have transformed because you will have experienced that intensity and you'll have perspective for everything else. And another thing I really like, Daniel Schmachtenberger, talking about rites of passage also, says um, you know, it, it, it prepares us for responsibility, a rite of passage, and it also informs our community that we are capable of stepping up to that responsibility. And we are in a world right now where it is so obvious that People generally, and particularly, um, I think men, as they understand themselves as men, are having difficulty stepping up to responsibility. So part of why I went on this journey was to answer this question of why can't I come? But it was also like, how do I become a man? Like, I'm 36 years old. And I was the creative director of a guide to the world's best festivals, flouncing around the world, writing about the best parties, like and and you know a lot of, with a lot of like I don't want to energy in me, a lot of privilege energy in me, um, and I wanted to cross that threshold. So thirty thousand view, uh, thirty thousand I just want to be view.
2: clear with our audience: you did not prepare for this interview. No. <laughs> um, well. <laughs> This oh, is just dude, what I like to talk about. This is, this is just this is who this
1: guy is. This wow. is what I like to talk about. So, um, <laughs> Just strolls in with his uh, coffee yeah. and his... his uh,
0: what, is, what is that necklace? You know, uh, the necklace I'm wearing gets uh, commented... It's my most commented piece of clothing. Some people say it looks like a dream catcher. Um, I got it um, on the island of Fomentera, which is a, a small island next to Ibiza in Spain. And um, it feels good to wear. Great, it's awesome. very shanty.
1: Um, so that's thirty thousand foot view here, and you've you've told us a little bit. So you you had just
2: finished so walking us through like the ordinary world, which the world is the, that you kind of where you were from, and kind of they talk about the the broken kingdom that that something's rotten in the kingdom, and and it's this kind of it's kind of you know tell us about that that moment that led up to you wanting to seek this. You've kind of already covered it. Yes, yeah. the broken kingdom.
0: So my broken kingdom was a lot about my sexuality, mm-hmm. my self-acceptance, what it meant to be a man, what my responsibility was and continues to be to the world. And so um, my life had was already pretty fanciful mm. in the sense that I am a... Um, psycho i do psychedelic ceremony for for wisdom exploration i'm no stranger to shamanic journeys um i i am deeply grateful for not only the way those experiences have allowed me to have a rapid growth and realization but also the ability to integrate them into my life so that was something that you know when i when i first ended the the relationship um with my ex-fiance i entered into working with some medicines um you know a lot of i have a yoga practice i have a meditation practice and i had this enormous privilege to have a job that sent me to the best parties in the world where my where i was at like a bumblebee cross-pollinating these <laughs> these global festivals and and helping weave together this community for a website called fest300 so i was already in a fanciful life and i was already kind of working with this this energy of sexuality in me where i had shame around my i had these rich and exquisite sexual fantasies just gloriously taboo things that would light me up so much to think about and but there was so divorced from reality. And within the crystal palace of my fantasies, there's, um, there's bisexuality and there's BDSM and there's this rapacious wolf and this kind of like victim. And I'm all of these things. And, I'm, and I oscillate and I'm viewing it. And it's this incredible space, this crystal fantasy palace. But I could not bring this into the world. I had too much fear. And I was, something was so locked up inside me. And so when I had actual sexual experiences, I could... Um, reach a certain crescendo, but I could never fully release. Mm. Um, and, um, and I'd been addicted to porn for a long time in my life and erotic fiction. And so I, my, my broken kingdom, I think, really is the hyper carnality of my addiction to pornography, the deep shame I had of my fear of being a predator as a man, a sexual predator, that if I let my sexuality fully free, mm. that somehow that would harm others um my fear of being gay my fear of maybe i'm just a gay dude who's who's deeply uncourageous you know that was that's been in me and this this idea that my broken kingdom you know the king archetype i love this book king warrior magician lover the king archetype orders the realm by ordering his house that's that's the king's job and so partially for me when i look at this this kind of silent epidemic of pornography addiction Um, amongst men and you can see some of this in these like nofap communities and um there's people are starting to really address the fact that their sexual destiny has been hijacked by high-speed internet pornography Um, that is that's the kingdom that is broken for me the kingdom of men Mm. the kingdom of this terror at being at potentially harming someone the 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 psychic castration and spiritual bypassing of the so-called enlightened male the unintegrated man who who will not let his shameful sexual shadow be part of himself and thereby magnifies it by trying to reject it that
2: is my broken kingdom so <laughs> wow um first of all thank you for sharing all of that and uh wow huh I, I I really don't know what to say other than how how much work you've clearly done on yourself and and how you understand that I mean it's clear we're gonna get to a part in this where we talk about what kind of wisdom and how you've integrated that back in your life you came out of this journey my my question about this particular event that we're gonna get into this uh what kind of you know, we we had asked you before this interview about a particular event. And I want to know why going to the Congo and doing this, like that you've clearly had the call to adventure this, this broken kingdom you feel. And, and my next kind of questions are like, what kind of refusal came up inside of you? You've talked about shame and things, but I guess we're at the point now where it's who kind of introduced you to going to this place to have this ceremony and this rite of passage, and what came up around that? Because clearly you've you've done a lot of work on yourself before this and had experimented, but when we asked you why why this event, you know, tell us about one thing, and and this is what came to mind. I'd love to know, like, kind of what separated it.
0: Yeah. So as um, Fest three hundred was in the process of being acquired by another company. Things kind of shifted professionally for me, and I started feeling a lot of self-doubt. And um, I was in Ibiza at this lavish villa party, and this old man, it's like fully, this is like textbook heroes dirty <laughs> shit. This old man named Benjamin. Meeting the mentor. <laughs> yeah. Um, this old man named Benjamin, and, um, uh, we, start, we started talking, and I, I was on a pretty heady dose of 2CB at the time. What's 2CB? That. 2CB is a research chemical that was synthesized <laughs> by Alexander slojan Alexander Slogin. Um, I think so. That sounds like him. That sounds like what he did. Um, <laughs> uh, and I met this man. This man sort of emerged, and it's like big white beard and what? just like fucking you know, you just feel men like this or women like this, like, yeah. like elders who just show up. Who just know. Yeah. And someone's like, oh, Benjamin and Eamon, you don't know each other. You should speak. It's like, okay, that's cool. We got into a conversation and I started talking to him about my sex problem. At that time I used to call it my sex problem and talk about it a lot. I mean, I still talk about it a lot. I just don't call it a sex problem. Um, <laughs> but I was talking about my sex problem. And he was the type of man who listens, really listens, pauses, Considers and then says something very poignant, Um, and so I was like rattling off about this whole thing, and he, and then I just like, yeah, and I've got this thing, and I just I don't know what to do, and I feel so fraud, and like I don't know what what do you think? And he says, "What you call your sex problem? This is your muse. Follow it, and fucking a, and when you're ready to write your book." I think you should go to Bali, and that was it. That was that was the that was the offering, and I was like, okay, that that's All the right. follow your bliss right there. Yeah, and so um, when uh, I decided at Burning Man that year, so this a couple of months later, I let Chip Conley know that I was going to leave the company and that, um, and I felt like I, I was time to go on an adventure and. And I also needed to figure out what to do next in my life. So I wanted to write a book about masculinity. And I was aware of this, you know, this need for masculine rites of passage. And I was like, all right, what I'm going to do is going to set myself off on. Okay, for some context. When I was a little boy, my mom thought that children's books were boring and didn't read them to us. She would just read like these really intricate adventure tales that like, that ple- that were enjoyable for her to read. So I was basically <laughs> gr- I grew up on the Odyssey as my like core book. So you know, um, many-minded Odysseus was the hero of my childhood yearning. Th- this idea to be to set off on an odyssey of exploration of a- an adventure. And I always saw the Odyssey, you know, the book is his like turmoil of trying to return home. Which for me is kind of my turmoil, to re- my turmoil to return home to an authentic self. But I always thought saw it as a joyful, like you get to you get to, you get lost in the land of the lotus eaters, and that's like what's that? And then you you have to best the cyclops, right? Like, the it's Disney version, dope. right? Yeah. So cool. So I, here I was standing on the precipice of my own personal odyssey, and I was like, "All right, here we go." And I was, um, I had been hearing about um, something called vipassana meditation, and vipassana as I understood it at the time, was the most psychedelic Buddhist shit you could do, um, which is why I was like, all right, here we go. It's 10 days of silent meditation. And I, wa- I was grasping for a hero's journey, self-inquiry threshold. And so I would, I'd left the company. I was like, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go do Vipassana, and then I'm gonna go to Bali and write a book. This is what, this is what Benjamin, my mysterious older man mentor, <laughs> told me to do. And I am want to follow not only my bliss, but just the strange serendipities of this life. And so I went, I want, at first I wanted to do this grand Vipassana thing in Southeast Asia, but, um, the, uh, I was going to do it in, um, Indonesia and they rejected me because I have mental health issues (laughs) and, um, well, I mean, I have depression, uh, and they were basically like,
2: you should do this in your own country. (laughs) And, And that's a question I have, like, before we go further I've always found interesting. I've, I I I feel the same desire to go out to have that grand adventure to leave. I find it to be important because I want to return with something. I don't know what that is. And and one of the things, you know, I, I've experienced with myself is that I, I've gone to the mountaintop, and it didn't really help me buy groceries or live my daily life. Oh yeah, you need integration. You got to integrate that shit. And it's- I think it's awesome that you're i am t- sharing that because like th- that's always that's where we want to get to with the I, I how the hell do we integrate what we've learned
0: well you know I think part of how we integrate is also not fetishizing the peak hmm. um well I, I great fucking answer dude <laughs> um well what i what I mean is is that um when you have a peak experience, particularly under the influence of psychedelics the experience itself has an exultant quality to it. And that makes it separate from your daily life. And um, I was recently listening to Sam Harris talking about um, about Xochitl um, meditations, Tibetan, a, a Tibetan lineage of the steep path of awakening. Um, and he says that, um, I believe that this was him. I might be conflating things. Um, but he says that, you know, the true mastery of awakening has nothing to do with peak experiences. You are as much a non-self in your moment of like a deep acid trip as you are to your point when you're at the groceries trying to decide whether you want to buy some cheese. Like your non-self, your ability to reach a full aperture of the divine is actually present in every moment. And these peak experiences can reveal that to you and can be part of the path. But in Zodian meditation, the realization the first the first taste of satori the first moment of of awakening is actually the first step on the journey you know it's not about reaching the peak it's about um it's about bringing that into one's total lived experience and i think and to the point of this podcast it's also about service and serving other people and bringing bringing something back
1: all right so so uh You've met the mentor in Benjamin. You've traveled to Indonesia okay, so, to uh, meditate. Well, and write a book. And what, write a book. I, okay, so
0: I didn't end up going to Indonesia to meditate because Copy. they rejected me. Right, um, right. Got it. One of one of a couple of key rejections in this mm. story. Um, <laughs> <A> foreshad- <laughs> foreshadowing. Um, uh, I ended up doing my Vipassana in a converted old folks home in the... Plains of rural Alberta, Canada.
2: Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> How Southeast Asian can you get, man?
0: It was perfect. It was it was the exact foil for all of my mm. lofty. This is my big rite of passage where that's I go far so away. Cool. The, so so, cool. so the the goenka style vipassana. There's centers all around the world, and you can you go to a website that. Um, uh, let's put this in the show notes because I, I don't know it right now. It's Dharma something. But if you want to do a Vipassana, you sign up for one. And I really wanted to do my Vipassana. Um, oh, by the way, I smoked 5-MeO-DMT. Uh, not just now, at this point in the story. <laughs> um, and 5-MeO-DMT is like speed dating with God. It's like you basically get like a half an hour slingshot into the divine unity. And then you come back and you're like, oh, well, that was queer. Yeah. Um, so that was actually part of like my launch was I'd done that Got ex- it. that ceremonial experience for the first time. So I had this sort of like awakening moment of like, Oh my God, all really is one and one isn't even really a thing and things aren't things. Um and then I was like, Okay, now I gotta sit quietly by myself for ten days. And and I did it in Canada and um it was beautiful, man. Like it was just like men, mm-hmm. not man, there are two of you. Um sweeping the sweeping Alberta Plains. It was just kind of mm. desolate and and felt very humble. But here's the here's the kicker. This was supposed to be my big rite of passage. This was actually supposed to be the end of, of a journey that had involved traveling to all these parties around the world and then I was going to write about the experience. So I get into Vipassana and Vipassana um, the teacher is Goenka and Goenka um, is now dead and he, um, so you listen to him on tapes and videos. And on the very first day he's like, Goenka's like I, I don't know if I can do a funny Goenka voice right now but he's like, this is not this is not for what you think it is for. This is not some big thing to do. This is not a rite of passage. <laughs> I <was> like, Fuck. <laughs> I'm here in Canada and I'm like fully dialed to do ten days of this thing and he day one. This is not a rite of passage. <laughs> uh, I was like, Fuck. So I so it turned out that the in a weird way, the Vipassana was kind of the beginning of the journey, yeah. not the end. And, um, I went, uh, from the Vipassana to Bali Mm. and, um, and there I did, um, went deep into like yoga and changed my diet and was, and was trying to write, um, and trying to begin this kind of story. And, um, so yeah, I think that's where we are on our next moment of the journey.
1: How did you, so now you're in Bali, um, the next phase of, of the hero's journey, sort of in the context of of, of uh, the steps here, it w- is crossing the threshold. So,
0: what wh- might have been. I think I think for might have been crossing the threshold okay. for me. All right, yeah. fair. Yeah. I mean, crossing the threshold. Tell, remind me what. What is required to say that one has crossed the threshold? Is this like when you go into the underworld, or you not enter yet. into the place where you're? Oh, we're not in the underworld. We're don't? Not in the underworld no. yet. No, oh, there's. I got one for that too. I think.
1: So, so really, I guess, I guess where I'm where I'm going here is like, what, at what point or when throughout this process did you learn about this Bwiti initiation ritual, and when did you make the decision, like, I'm going to go to Gabon and and undertake this this thing? Because to me, that would be that. From the ex- from the outside, it seems like that's the the, yeah. the, the crossing yeah, yeah. of the threshold. Okay,
0: so I'm going to try to do this pretty rapidly. Great. Um, I'm in Bali for a month, and I'm doing a bunch of this kind of work. I, I'm introduced to combo medicine, which is also an arduous warrior's medicine, where they put frog poison on you and you puke, super intense. Um, <laughs> then I go to <laughs> Thailand and um, and had a bunch of experiences there. I'm just not going to go into the. I was doing a bunch of these right. weird little... Were you trying to recapture that first experience you had? or like The first experience. No, no, no. Um, 5MeO DMT is, is toad poison. Mm. Combo is from the um, Amazonian tree frog. They're, they're different. Mm. And the 5MeO is like psychedelic bliss. Combo is like warrior purge. So, so, so I wasn't trying to recapture it. I was just doing these new, these new crossing these new sort of thresholds. So uh, then I was in Thailand for a month. Did a bunch of weird stuff there. I did weird Thailand stuff there. Um, then I was in Australia for a month doing a speaking tour on healthy masculinity with a mentor of mine. That's where I met Arnie Rubenstein, and we had conversations about male rites of passage. During this time, I was having a long distance relationship with a with a woman, and um, and and in this relationship, I was. I was in these this kind of um, white knight framework with her, where she was younger and trying to change her life, and I was like helping her with it um, and I was in this white knight space with her and um and then while I was in Australia, my father's Australian, and I was working with these masculine archetypes and teaching about them and I started working with the warrior archetype, which is about anger and how anger can be used to forward. Um, to forward these healthy goals, and I was trying to like lean into my anger and I was trying to touch into my anger with my father as a child, and this anger kind of got a little uh, kind of spilled out not in a dramatic way, but I was just in this energy and the woman I was seeing at the time ultimately found me to just kind of be too much and she um and she had gone to a festival in Costa Rica and met another guy and she just she was done so i I had thought so one of the interesting things about uh, uh, the hero's journey is that if you're trying to have one it's really easy to be too goal oriented mm. about it where you're like what is my hero's journey what is my threshold what right. is my next thing and how do I complete this so I can step into the fullness of my being and then I'll be done and everything and then will I'll be, be done yeah. right. um, which of course ends up that ends up not being the lesson Yeah. big spoiler alert <laughs> um, but my next frame there were these different kinds of frames of what that threshold would be but I had this vision that this woman I was seeing would come to bali with me that would that would have been our plan and we would heal our sexuality together that that and that that would some, kind of be this threshold this woman would um would would this she kind of you know how often do we do this as men she would like embody this divine feminine healing and ameliorate a a, a lifetime of high-speed internet pornography desensitizing my deep erotic truth and um and of course i had set this up like i was going to save her and then she was going to save me and there's all this saving and um (laughs) when she ended our relationship i i'd been you know fraught and perplexed in the extreme um as othello says about his heart right um (laughs) so uh I was reading her something I'd written in my book about how she was going to come to Bali and we were going to save each other. And she said, well, that's a very beautiful story, Eamon. That's, and you're a great writer. But I'm s- going to heal my own sexuality, whether you're there or not. And it was just just a killer feminist mic drop, too. She was just like, I'm going to go do my own thing. I, I have my own healing to do, and I'm going to do it myself. And what she was also saying, and I didn't hear it at the time, but what she was also saying is, you're going to heal your own self. And then, And, and at the time... I was in India. Um, I had uh, I'd done this speaking tour in Australia, made my way to India. I played Holi, the Festival of Colors, in the ancient city of Varanasi. It was very magical. And then I had gotten kind of this breakup with this girl. I got in a bike accident. I was holed up in a, in a home in Goa with my leg healing and totally lost. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to fucking do a boga. <laughs> <laughs> So I'd known about iboga for a while. Iboga is a West African plant medicine that's in a shamanic tradition of the Bwiti people. And the Bwiti people are in the Congo Basin. So Gabon is kind of the center, but um, also Cameroon and place, parts of the Congo. And um, iboga is a known as a master pattern breaker. Um, one of the things that it's used for more with more efficacy than anything else is to break heroin addiction and actually the aboga plant binds with opioid receptors in in a certain way but also the arduousness of the process itself and how deeply it seeps into your very being just helps you break out of patterns um and i kind of shook some trees in my community to see does anyone have contacts in gabon i want to go and i want to i want to meet with 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 some leaders there and see if they'll let me do this initiation. And and I was framing it as a male rite of passage at the time too, because I'd been studying those. Mm. And I was like, okay, this is, it's coming. I feel it. and um, And so I was imagining that all of this kind of fraught attempt to figure out who I was as a sexual being and how I would projected that onto this lover who would rejected me that she would heal me um, and how I tried to go into Vipassana to like sit quietly until the answer came forth for me. M- I, my vision was Iboga, the master pattern breaker, one of the most arduous and sophisticated medicines known to man is going to cut through my very being and it will show me why I am held in this way? Why am I in this vice of of of, of unexpressed
2: erotic destiny? And so I went to Gabon. Um, I, I, so this is where I want to slow down a little bit because, like, <laughs> it's starting to get pretty cinematic here. Like, what I I've never done a trip like this. What what does that take to get to? I'm assuming, a fairly isolated region. Like, just the just visually, like, what's it like? Are you on a small plane? Are you going well, through? Well, let me tell you, first of all, you need a visa. <laughs> oh, did you not?
0: <laughs> um, I was in... Uh, <laughs> I was in... Um, I was in East Africa. I was actually on the island of Zanzibar with a broken heart. Ugh. There's nothing more indulgent than being... In like a beautiful travel experience that people would love to be on, and like moping about the fact that some woman somewhere else in the world doesn't like you anymore, I was on the island of Zanzibar, full of just you know angst, <laughs> staring into this murky water as the Zanzibar children were leaping and doing these tricks for the tourists, and just like quietly sobbing in the night. so stupid. <laughs> no, it's not stupid. I love myself, and I know that that was something I needed. But um, I was like, OK. Fucking Gabon. So, um, <laughs> I, I knew I needed a visa before I got there and, and I had applied for it, but it was behind, it wasn't coming and I thought it would come by the time I got there. So I, and so I booked a flight through Addis Ababa. I still didn't have the visa and then Addis to, um, Libreville, Gabon. So t- to your point about like a small plane, I mean, I was going straight to Libreville. So, um, you know, it was a fairly standard Ethiopian airs, airways flight to, um, to Libreville, and I got there. And long story short, I was detained for 14 hours by the um, immigration officers in Gabon who didn't speak English and were not happy with the presumptuous American who just thought he could waltz into their country. And I think that they were pretty clear on you know why I was there. Um, in the sense that there are people who travel to Gabon for the reason to do a boga, and um, I just remember being. You know, they took my passport, uh there's no Wi Fi, there's no way to get on my phone.
1: Probably if you spoke French, you could have paid a bribe and been out of there in twenty minutes, but you just didn't understand.
0: I didn't understand anything. And I and I think that I don't think it's wise to fuck around with bribes in sub Saharan Africa. I know that that's I mean, I don't know. I'm not an I I don't I I just feel like that could go sideways in a pretty gnarly way. Yeah. So I forget where we are in Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey arc. I know that there's something, there's a refusal that happens where you refuse to do it. This was a situation where Gabon refused me. <laughs> okay. and I think this would be considered
2: a, a test. Test. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, test.
1: yeah. This is a good test. test. I don't know. Allies, enemies.
0: What do
2: we know? Yeah, we keep no, thinking we know where this Hero's yeah. Journey is going. And exactly. I don't know where, where it begins and where it ends, but it's great. So the test, no, this is a good one. This is a test because...
0: I was broken hearted and in no position. I remember how scared I was too. I was terrified. Um, because I knew I was, I'd, I'd been in communication through a third party, um, with, uh, with the people that I was going to be doing this with. And I'd gotten to know a little bit about what was ahead of me. There are, um, it's an initiation. So it's not like, so an ayahuasca ceremony is, um, uh, is a specific incident and you can do a dieta where you're eating certain plants. You can go to the Amazon and you can do a series of them, but the experience of ayahuasca is the sort of the ceremony. Um, the experience of Iboga is part of a full initiation that is part of a deeply spiritual tradition that the Buiti do. And they do a reading to see whether you can even come. They do like a a celestial reading to see if you can come and to see what, um, rituals and what initiations are yours. And, um, I was terrified. I was I I didn't know fully what I was getting myself into, and to be honest with you, if I had known, I wouldn't have gone. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that right now. If I had known how hard that experience was, I would not have gone. Hmm. And I'm you know I'm obviously here now and happy to talk about it. So I will let the listener listen on to see what that was all about. But um, I was terrified and broken hearted, and and I wasn't ready. And so Gabon rejected me, and I escaped to Casablanca with nothing but. Uh, <laughs> Some sweaty green bananas, and um, that's all. The only thing I had to show for my stop off in Gabon was sweaty green bananas. And I escaped to Casablanca, and then, um, and then, with my tail between my legs, scurried back to Bali, um, where I spent two months preparing before I returned. Wow.
1: Uh, okay, so you're in Bali. You've just you've gone back. Uh, you're you're from from after being turned away, you're back in Bali for a couple months, you're preparing. when do you when do you you know find out like, okay, I'm going, this is happening. Walk us through this that experience.
0: So the first step of Bali was grief for me um, because I had planned that um, this woman that I had been dating and I were going to, do this epic healing in Bali. And um and then when it didn't surface and I was so fraught, I was like, I'm going to Gabon, I'm gonna do a boga. Um and Gabon had other plans for me. And so I had to go to Bali to grieve the loss of this love and also grieve the loss of the belief that romance was going to transport me past this block in myself that somehow mm-hmm. somehow that i could be healed in that way by another person or by a relationship so part of that first time was that
2: was that do you think in an effort to avoid grief because i i think part of you know when i've gone through nothing quite like this but my own ordeal it's been thinking that i can find an elixir knowing what that is to avoid what i actually need to go through
0: yeah i think that's astute. I. um I wanted to blast through it so hard that I didn't have to feel how I felt. And I think that's part of why it wasn't time for me to do the experience. So I spent about a month in Bali just grieving. I cried a lot, and that was really good for me. And then um, I met a yin yoga teacher named Tina Nance, who's incredible. And I, um, I did a yin yoga teacher training um yin yoga is a a pretty powerful and fairly new yoga modality which it's a synthesis of three wisdom traditions so it's hatha yoga but done in long hold poses where gravity is used to bear down on the fascial network it's also in informed by um chinese medicine and and especially modern meridian theory modern meridian theory is that the fascial network the connective tissue in your body is actually um the uh the meridians which the energy moving through your system that's manipulated by acupuncture, um, that that actually is your connective tissue. And the theory is that there's biomagnetic information that's being passed through your system. Um, there's a great book, your body knows the score, um, about how trauma is stored in the connective tissue. And in yin yoga, you, um, you do these long hold poses, to open up the connective tissue along the, these meridians and the final piece is then you meet that with mindfulness. That's the third piece. Um, and mindfulness is just not the attachment to what's happening, but not detaching, just meeting your edge with presence. And that ended up being the training I needed to do Iboga. So I was doing yin yoga teacher training, which meant I was doing yin yoga every day. And I was just getting very in touch with trauma being stored in my body and how I could release it. And, um, it was, it was, there was a bit of an eye of the tiger kind of thing about this moment where I was like, I'm imagining like the rocky montage of yeah, like a, of was, like a cobra pose. It was it, it, went, well, no, it, was, it was, it was, it was, it was a rocky montage, but extremely mellow. It was like an extremely <laughs> <For sure. laughs> mellow rocky montage. Baby pose. Yeah. It was, it was a
2: lot of long hold kind of uh, poses. And did this involve like in terms of getting tension out of your body or having this trauma and, and learning how to, kind of go through that and move it did that involve like were there physical manifestations of that that happened like were you sobbing uncontrollably yeah this?
0: yeah there were i remember being in one it actually wasn't with tina it was at the bali spirit festival with um Ishel, um was the teacher and and her and her partner were playing this beautiful really sad music and i was in like a hip opener and i just felt a release there and i you know began to cry and um so there's you know feeling that there was actually not, not trauma in an abstract sense, but actually traumatic memory information Mm -hmm. held in the physical body, which based on my experience of doing this, I believe that this is true now because of my lived experience in relation to it. Um, And at the time I had a moment where I wasn't sure I was going to go back to Gabon. And earlier in the conversation, we talked about peak experiences and um, a peak experience is very Yang. And um, and, and uh, yin yoga uses taoist concepts and taoism ended up being a very important part of this whole journey for me and the peak is yang you know you climb the peak there's there's not a lot of room at the top you know you got to go through all this stuff to get to the top and yin yoga there's a wonderful framing of it um in one of the books i read i think it was alas i can't remember the name of the author but it talked about the yang peak versus the yin river So the Yang Peak is let's charge our way, Let's get to the top. Let's break it. Let's do it. Let's make it. Let's conquer it. Versus the Yin River, which is a long, lazy, low river that you just just float on down to awakening. Uh, And that was a really interesting frame. And then also this idea of the masculine and feminine where Yin Yoga, Bali, surrender, so much feminine nourishing for me. And then Gabon is like, masculine rite of passage initiation, (laughs) like go break open the head kind of experience. And at the time when I was doing the yin yoga, I wasn't sure that I needed to go to Gabon. I was healing from my lost love. I was booging around Ubud on my scooter and eating like I was vegan at the time and just eating like delicious vegetables and fruits and stuff. And I was like, do I need to? But I did. I did need to. I did need to.
1: Let's let's get into that. Yeah, Gabon round 2. Okay, Gabon round 2.
0: <sighs> do you have a do you have a hero's journey prompt for this one?
1: Um I mean I guess I guess uh, I think we're still in the test at this yeah, point we're, like crossing the threshold the, again. The, the, the next sort of the next hero's journey point is the inmost cave. Oh, yeah. okay. So well
2: yeah, I mean this is the inmost. Here, so, so here we so are. So I feel
1: like we're getting there. yeah. We're here. So
0: the inmost cave. So here is where I am going to disappoint you, dear listener, and my two hosts. Um, There is a great deal of the experience that I had in Gabon, which I am not able to speak about. I understand that. Um, There are specific rules about this. And um, it is a profound initiation that tears at the very fabric of your being. It is 10x the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, And there are so many things about it I still don't understand. And the rituals are, shall we say, very meticulous. And the experience was extremely arduous. But I am not at liberty to describe what these exact rituals were. There are certain things I am excited to share about my experience, and the overall story will absolutely make sense. But for example, I did something in Gabon that I never would have imagined myself having the capability of doing. Something that challenged me on many levels of what I could rise to. And actually, it's kind of an interesting, I can't tell you what the thing is, (laughs) so there you go. But um, I arrived in Gabon, and when I was taken to the compound, I thought I was gonna be you know, I had all these visions of what it was gonna be like. I was gonna be in the jungle in a hut or something, and I had these ideas of like ayahuasca ceremonies, so it was gonna be I was gonna sit in a ceremony. It was in Libreville. I was in the city, the biggest city of Gabon, and there was a huge compound and you sort of went in the compound and Who owns the compound? Um so the lineage that I sat with is the lineage of a man called Atum. And Atum is in his eighties.
2: Let's pause Um, for a second.
0: Sorry about that. So the lineage that you sat with? The lineage that I sat with uh, was uh, the lineage of Atum. And Atum is a man who's in his 80s, and he actually represents Iboga work in international conferences, and he's a very reputable um, person. Um, My interactions were with uh, his son, not not Atum himself. I met him at one point, um, but he wasn't facilitating the experience. And, um, you know, to your point at the beginning of this conversation, when you are faced with the total disorientation that puts you back in explore mode of learning, you don't know what it's going to be because you don't know what it's going to be because you don't know what it's going to be. And I did not know what it was going to be. I was not prepared. And I I'm humbled everything about the experience was humbling for me. Um, So I'm, it's, it's interesting. Let me tell you something right now in this moment, even beginning to speak on this for the first time in this conversation, I feel a little anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that I have been careless in my private communication about this experience Mm -hmm. where I have, Oh, Hey, you don't like it either. Got a little dog growling in the background. What's Ciggy. the matter? You okay. see, and here's the interesting thing. Here, this is a really interesting thing. So nothing has changed in this room, and yet your dog is now growling. And I have the buiti stuff is is deep magic, man. Like deep, deep, rich magic. And you're not supposed to fucking talk about it. Then let's not talk about it. And. Uh, so I will speak of my initiation yeah. in terms of what it taught me mm-hmm. awesome. and I'm happy to speak about the medicine of a boga, but the reality of the ten day initiation mm-hmm. the series of rituals, the chamber itself um that is mine to to continue to integrate and work with of course so so you
1: you got there. It was not what you expected. It was one of the hard
0: ten x the hardest thing that's that ever happened to you this is a this is somehow this i don't know why this is how I think about it, but can you imagine like a corrugated garage door, like a heavy metal corrugated like yeah. industrial mm-hmm. garage yeah um imagine like hitting that with a battle axe for like a long time hmm. and then the physical version of that? What that physically is, what that feels like, what that sounds like as a physical thing, and then translate
2: that to a psychological emotional experience
1: in your body.
0: Damn.
2: Yeah. And, that was that and you have to get out, or you either have to get in or you have to get out.
0: So Eboga is the only uh, I think the only, but certainly the most lethal psychedelic. So people die. No kidding. Um, and when it's done in a Western context, it's often done in the extracted form of Ibogaine. Mm. It's usually done in a clinic with doctors and heart monitors. And, but that is not how it is done in Gabon. And I, there were two people who spoke English. I do not speak French. And I was saved in part by this just marvelous French woman, Amandine, who, who, we f- who we found out that I know. Yeah, you know Amandine. What? Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Amandine knows my mentor, Chip. Right. Yeah, which is crazy. Um, I was just beside myself before anything had even started. I was so anxious and scared, and I couldn't talk to anyone. And I was just there. And the Gabonese move slow. Time happens as it happens. So when I first arrived there, there was just nothing to do. I was just there. Oh, hi, sweetie. Now your sweet little doggies come over to to be with me. I love your pet. To remind me of her name? Sugar. Oh man, just coming over to take care of me. She's the best. Um, she's a it, very special creature. She's very special. She has deep intuition. You can tell. Um I was so scared and I felt like such a boy and I was like I don't, I, I, I could feel the the thing coming and I mm. t- terrified and I didn't want to. And um, it was an opt in or an opt out situation. You know, like I had gone all the way there. I'd been bounced back once and I was there and I had to do it. And the very experience of having to do it was part of what was conquered by the doing, which is things got so challenging that I had to hyper focus on the next thing. There's a lot of ritual, there's a lot of things that you're being
2: instructed to do it's a it's a ceremony you're going through these yeah. kind of
0: it's just a tries. series series of rituals and i just had to hyper focus on the next thing i have to do it whatever it is and that's when i was alluding to something in the beginning that i never thought i would do there was a moment where i was confronted with um an experience and was there was no there were no words no mm. one was speaking to me i was just brought to a place where it was clear that I had to make a choice. And my feet were kind of, uh, my feet were pointed away kind of to the side. And I was like, oh, I'll just tell them no. I'll just tell them, well, they have to understand that I can't do that. Hmm. I'll just tell them no, I can't do it. And at this moment and I looked at my feet because I couldn't look in front of me. And I was like, well, I either do everything or I go home. So if they are making me do the thing I think they're going to make me do right now, and I'm going to do it, and I just pointed my feet, mm. and from that point forward, I pointed my feet at whatever I had to do, and it was arduous in the sense that it's a very long experience. A mm. um, boga medicine itself is a very arduous experience. Um, for me, <clears throat> for me, ayahuasca is a feeling of like a cosmic opening. It's it very much has a really blossoming narrative for my in my experience i feel like there's a presence of the consciousness of a loving grandmother um ayahuasca as a combination of two plants it has an mao inhibitor and that mao inhibitor is an antidepressant so you're kind of awash with a serotogenetic sense of safety um but it's very narrative and and it's just and i love that experience um the experience of a boga as a medicine and indeed the initiation itself was painstaking and slow and step by step. Um, in Swahili, there's this pole pole, slowly, slowly. Um, obviously, Gabonese people are not Swahili, that's East Africa, but um, slowly, slowly. And the actual, and I'm gonna, you know, as I say, I can't speak about the chamber. I was in a chamber for five days before the final hmm. um, experience with the plant
2: and um so this is all leading up to yeah, everything you're talking about is before you've even before i've even the plant. It, um you can't say and it, 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 yeah doesn't matter, you know doesn't matter. um
0: the culmination experience which i'm feel comfortable saying is is a um heroic i don't know if to say heroic that sounds so cheesy it's a large dose of a brambly root bark that was tossed down my throat like someone might throw something into a carnival game you know those carnival games where you Mm -hmm. these two putrid spools of of this bark that went into my body and then for the next 48 hours proceeded to move through me as I lay dizzy in a bed and as I experienced all of the trauma that was locked inside my body piece by piece blossom out and be revealed to me. It was like it was like a meticulous ancient doctor working some kind of like bone typewriter con- abacus contraption and doing these tiny chiropractic adjustments on these little pieces of trauma in my body from the top of my head down into like my fucking bowels, and that's where it got fucking real. It was just piece by piece, little memory, little thing. Hmm just time with the Bwiti harps and with, I mean, and with the situation in which I was in um, is indescribable. And uh, even if I were allowed to describe it, I could not capture how humbling it was to go piece by piece. Mm. And at one point I had a little freak out um, and I threw a tantrum and I left the chamber and I found Amundine, who is not. She was doing her initiation later, and I was, and I was just, I can't do it. I can't. I can't. And do you this. were
1: like under the influence at this time. Yes. Right. Yeah.
0: Um, There's no doctors here. I could die. This. This is insane. Like I was just. I had hit a breaking point. And Amandine was says, like, "No, you have to hit the breaking point. Like that's the other side of the breaking point is where you're trying to go. Mm-hmm. You need to go back. <laughs> and, you know, you need to go back and <laughs> change it. And and I was. I can't. I cannot go back. I won't. The boy in me was fighting so desperately mm. hard. I can't. I won't. You can't make me. It's their fault. These people are irresponsible. This is horrible. How dare they? How dare they be so reckless with me? How dare they not be? I thought it was going to be this way, and it's different. How dare they? I was so petulant. So she spoke to them in French, and they permitted me, by the way, while well under the influence of boga, to do a yoga session with Amandine So she put on a video, and I did yoga (laughs) with Amandine. And then at, at the end, she said, Are you willing to go back in the chamber? And I said, Yes. And from that point forward, I did the rest of the rituals, the exhaustive, you know, compiling rituals. And the final ceremony, um, is one of the most exquisite pageantries I've ever seen in my entire life. The entire community performed this profound ritual that we were part of, and man, I wish I could write about it. I wish I could talk about it. I wish I could talk about the tiny little details, the 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 bows, the costumes, the 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 buiti harps, and me in the midst of all of it. Dizzy on two days of a boga, standing up, spinning around. You know the kind. Gabonese women who said I looked like Jesus Christ because I was so fucking gaunt at that time. Um, and how and how kind everyone was, but also how there's no bullshit with the Bwiti man. There's no bullshit. You know, you're not. No one's going to hold your fucking hand. And um, I completed it. I completed the initiation. And when I left the compound, I felt like a newborn puppy. I felt like there was no pain or stress or holding anywhere in my entire body. I felt so limber. And that day was the best day I've ever had in terms of the pure, just the pure simplicity of being. So I've had I've had peak experiences where I've been like, oh my god, I'm so enlightened! It's so great. This wasn't like that. I went with Amandine to the Tropicana Hotel, which is this hotel on the beach in Libreville, and it's kind of the only place where you know you would be. And we were doing yoga on the beach with the Gabonese prostitutes and the French tourist children. And um, <laughs> while the sun was setting, and it was like some kind of uh, you know Dutch painting the way that the sun came through the clouds, and I was doing yoga. And at one point, I scolded one of the Gabonese prostitutes for being so loud. And I wasn't mean about it, but I was just like, we are doing yoga. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and she said, go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, and she just giggled
0: and kept doing what she <laughs> was doing. toi. <laughs> um, I remember at the hotel, leaning out a window and whistling. And I remember in that moment thinking that that feeling I felt right then is what I always thought it must feel like if you were a popular kid when I was in high school. The feeling of arriving, the feeling of being enough, the feeling of this moment does needs no validation or verification. It doesn't need to be recorded. It doesn't even need to be remembered. It it just is. And in this moment, I am. And um, that experience of total being after. Just being wrung out of all of this. And, I, and I'll talk, you know, I'm happy to talk a little later about the content of the trauma, but just being wrung out and going through this thing that was so hard, I thought I would die. And there's this, there's this great thing, this great idea Ram Dass says, um, when we go through a really difficult experience, an experience of deep grief, um, we are afraid that we, we might die. We're so afraid of death. And that's true, because we do die. The part of us that cannot, Mm. the part of us that cannot go through this does die. And there is a part in me that just said, I don't want to. And somewhere in that chamber in Gabon, the part of me that said, I don't want to died. It just died. I can hear, I mean, I can hear and I don't want to inside myself. But, you know, fast forward a couple months later to Burning Man, Friends wanted me to drive an RV in for them, and and I was doing build on a big camp. And you know, i I've, I've never been um, someone who just dives in and like does this, you know, does this stuff by himself and figures it out. I've always been someone who's like, oh, okay, show me how to do it. I'll help out. It's I've had that relationship to things. And um, yeah, Burning Man this year, I just drove the RV in because it was my job. I just did it, and then I parked it, and then I b- b- climbed up on the top of the scaffolding to build things. And then whenever something was needed, I said, oh yeah, of course I'll do it yeah, I'll do it. And to me, the maturation threshold of that initiation really was exactly what I had been looking for in terms of the crossing over point between being a boy and being a man. Mm-hmm. And um, and of course, this all then ties back to my father, mm. which I think is where the story, the content of the this transition will blossom and then, kind of this rite of passage story will come to its conclusion.
1: Amazing. So, I guess next, you know, on the path, the last two steps here are, are the road back and the
0: elixir. Yeah, you know, the elixir is also the boon, right? It's right. yeah. the yeah. boon. Yeah. So, um, I am aware of my self-absorption. I am far better at telling stories than listening to them. And um, a friend of mine once gave me this wonderful framework, which he said, you have to serve in the way that feeds you most. I love this idea. Um, I am a performer and I love attention and I love to put on a good show and I love to tell a good story. And I love to do these types of explorations and these types of, of experiences. But to me, the boon is the key to the entire hero's journey. It's the most important step on the hero's journey. Because um, otherwise it's just masturbation. Mm. You know, other you can you can go and have these challenges and these blossomings and all this kind of stuff. But if you return with nothing to show for it you didn't really and share, really, right? and share yeah. exactly mm-hmm. you know not to show to be validated right. but to share isn't to give something right the hero goes on a journey to bring something back for his tribe like what? it's what? like whole kingdom right, right. 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 well and, and and he might not know that or know the magnitude of that
2: or what he's gonna bring or what back he's gonna bring I mean, back. we think we know what we're bringing back right we have no fucking clue so
0: I'm gonna talk about the road home and um, and the boon um. <sighs> So, you know, this idea of serendipitous convergence has been so amazing in my life. Um, I'm interested in um, pornography addiction and I'm interested in sexual liberation and blossoming. And when I was in the chamber, so much of what was coming out of my body had to do with my sexuality and my relationship to my sexuality mm. and also my father and my childhood. And... Um, I kind of think of this experience as kind of a one, two, three. Yin yoga prepared me for the initiation. Iboga and the specific chamber called Mumbayano that I was in was number two. And then number three is something called Mogadao. So the final piece was coming to study with a transgender Taoist master on the erotic basis of being at the Mogadishu institute someone had sent me a video of jenzon speaking about pornography addiction in mythopoetic terms and it was so captivating i mean this uh, i've had Genzon on my podcast speaking about this mm. and her voice is like a jaguar dripping honey it's so she just talks it's about, it's, it's
1: pretty amazing it you so know, having it's, listened to it it's poetry amazing. pure yep. poetry and to be
2: fair what is your podcast? Oh, <laughs>
0: it's called Life is a Festival. Life is and a festival. it's about how we take the lessons we learn in festivals and other um, incubators for human blossoming and we bring them into our daily lives. So it's really a podcast about integrating peak experiences and taking the joyfulness of the festival adventure into the world. So after Iboga... Um, I was in Europe for a little bit and began the process of integration and I wanted to finish this journey because the thing is, is that a a Boga, what I was once told by, uh, the woman who was helping me get to Gabon is, she said that a Boga teaches you that there is no such thing as addiction. There's just deep psychic wounds, which we have built patterns to avoid Mm. and the patterns to avoid those wounds are the addictions. Um, and so my addiction to pornography and more specifically towards sexual fantasy, my crystal fantasy palace, mm. this was a compensation for deep trauma and deep trauma on the subject of my sexuality and how I approached sexuality as an adolescent um, and the shame that I felt when I, when I understood how erotic I found taboo when I was young, but also deeper my relationship to my father. My father, and I, my father, by the way, is an incredible person and a person of in, exquisite integrity, and we are close friends. However, when I was a little boy, he was an alcoholic, mm. and he was in no position to be a father. And my childhood experience was one of, his alcoholism need, required control to maintain. And the least in control thing in his life was his second son, Amen and he spent the first 5 years of my life exerting his control on me mm-hmm. through anger and through expressions of of dissatisfaction of who i was and my desire to then control myself blossomed into later my my Belief that my sexuality was harmful and bad and need to control that. And this feeling of ha- living my entire life with one foot on the brake and this controlling was happening in my body and it was happening in my, it's called the Dantian in, um, in Chinese medicine. Your hara is also, I think, I think that's in India. Um, my lower belly. Hmm. And as the aboga medicine blasted through my body, it broke open. It was like, it's like, you know how they use dynamite to blast tunnels for trains to go through. Mm-hmm. That's what it felt like when the spools of Iboga were moving on, in my deepest intestines. And I was early, early childhood pain and trauma and just visu- visualizing it. It broke all that up, but it didn't replace it with any type of philosophical framework for me mm-hmm. to move forward with my relationship to my sexuality. So in a sense, it wasn't quite done. The big blast through was mm-hmm. was had happened, but the teachings that I needed weren't fully in that chamber. And I'd wanted to study with Zhen Tao Dao and study Moga Dao, which is an erotic Taoism. It's the erotic basis of being. Now get this. Zhen Tao Dao has an institute in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Santa Fe, New Mexico is where I was born. And Santa Fe, New Mexico is where my father lives. Wow. So I went to Santa Fe. Holy <laughs> shit. I went to Santa Fe to study with Zhen Tao Dao. And um, I'm going to save the content of the erotic basis of being because we've had a long conversation already. But if yeah. you'd
1: like to know about- You should I, listen I, to his podcast. <laughs> it's, it's what is it, episode- Episode six? Seven, seven or seven?
0: Episode seven. With Zhenzhan Dao. Dao. And maybe we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, but yeah. I'll let Zhenzhan express um, her uh, incredible philosophies around how the erotic is our call to destiny. Ugh, it's so good. So I had this experience of really, really deep- work on the philosophy of sexuality um, and the erotic base of being and yoga and, and, and internal alchemy practices to touch into this erotic energy. And, um, on the final, I had one day after the, um, the workshop with Jen's was over in Santa Fe and I was staying with my dad. And the last day, um, we had, we went out to the burger place that, uh, that my dad likes, which used to be called Bobcat Bite. Um, and I told my father, I was talking about the hapanapono ceremony, which is, Hapanopono is a Hawaiian um, prayer of forgiveness. And it is, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. That's the Hawaiian prayer of forgiveness. And I taught it to my dad. <laughs> and um, I asked him, if we could have a ceremony to talk about my childhood and my dad said well you know i'm not really a ceremony guy but if you want to talk about your childhood i'm i'm down and we went to my dad's home in its hot summer santa fe new mexico and I, uh, you know exhausting in the heat and i read my father my iboga journals i read my father I read to my father my specific memories about the ways that he had hurt me when I was a little boy. And he showed up for that experience in a heroic way. He showed up with such heroism. I prefaced the experience by saying, you know, here's the deal. I'm writing this book. I'm on this journey. This is what I want. This is what I want to share with the world. And I want to write about you. And I want to write about this. But everybody gets a chance to read what I write and edit it before it goes out into the world. And I want you to know that I want to write about this. I want to write about you, but you get to edit it. And my dad said, no, I won't edit anything. I squashed you when you were a little boy and I'm not going to squash your book. I want to hear everything you have to say and I don't want to edit a single word. And so we sat there in my father's home in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and um, we talked about my childhood. And we talked about specific memories that had come up and choices that he made when he was not really fit or able to be a dad. And we also talked about my dad's childhood and we talked about his experience of being a scared little boy. And it didn't end up being a conversation about a perpetrator and a victim. Mm. It wasn't about how he traumatized me. It was about, two wounded boys talking about how we'd been hurt. And we held each other and we cried. And um, it was interesting how, after having so many intense psychedelic experiences, how real and poignant that conversation felt in terms of being alive and present in this world. And to share all of this with my father and have him show up, just so completely show up in a heroic fashion, that was really, that's, that's my journey home, mm. to my actual home right. with my father. And he just showed up. And at the end of the whole experience, um, I told him about my sexuality. You know, I'm a kinky dude. I got some stuff going on. I got a, (laughs) I got a, I got a, uh, a transgender part of my psychology where there's a part of my psychology that sort of longs to be a victimized woman. It's very interesting and I don't know why it is. Um, and it doesn't matter why, but it's part of me. And at the end of this whole long thing and the forgiveness and the presence, I told my dad about my sexuality and about how I understood it. And my dad was just so funny. (laughs) He was just like, That sounds right for you (laughs) That, that sounds right for you and um and then i you know i made my way from there i made my way back to san francisco I spent a little time in la and i was in sf for a little while and and then i went to burning man and then um you know at burning man i gave a talk about gender while naked that was fun you know, kept doing weird shit. But in a sense, I had landed and I came home. And then I came back to San Francisco, California. And it's so funny, I thought I was away writing a book. I didn't, I hardly wrote, I mean, I journaled every day, but I didn't write any book. I just wrote about what had happened. And coming back to San Francisco, I started to integrate. And I started to take all of these things that I've learned about morning routines and daily meditation and start to build a life that would hold the piece of art that I'm now making. I started writing, reading books like The Artist's Way, um, The War of Art, which is a wonderful way of getting past resistance. Artistically. Yeah, I, I
1: give that book as a gift yeah, on a regular basis. Incredible
0: book. I also read a book called Finite and Infinite Games, mm. which is the one I give away to everyone now, Finite and Infinite Games. If you get nothing from this podcast... <laughs>
2: Read that book. Um, I'll throw one in the mix. Since okay. We're the Art Spirit by Robert Henri.
0: Oh, I don't know it.
2: It's just lectures about painting, and it has nothing to do with painting. Nice. I love I love things about creating art that aren't about,
0: you know, it's it's about, uh, there's a book called Bird by Bird that I really like. Um, it's a book about writing, and the way they framed it is you have to just sit by the door and let spirit slide its paper dolls under the door to you. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's
1: so poetic. Yeah, that's pretty amazing.
0: Um, So I set myself to work. And my work is to take this story in all of its sexy, fabulous world travel adventure and tell it as authentically as I can so that the lessons that I learned along the way, the lessons about the fallacy of the damsel in distress... You know, when you make a woman into a damsel in distress, you are reducing her in the worst possible way. Mm-hmm. She is a woman with her own agency. And that's what this woman taught me. Um, as you probably can tell, I'm not, I just think, I'm not using anyone's name mm-hmm. for anyone that I dated. Mm-hmm. It just seems more fair to do it. But mm-hmm. if you're listening to this, I appreciate your, I just appreciate you. I think that was just Exquisite. Um, but these lessons, you know, and these lessons of acceptance and the lesson that it isn't about getting to the peak and then you're safe and you're there. Um, I think Joseph Campbell said that, that maybe it's Joseph Campbell said that a a life well lived is a series of hero's journeys. Yeah. Um, you know, when you think that when you think you're done, it's there's, you know, you're called off to a new adventure. And what I'm doing now with my life is I am writing this book about this experience, about the modern need for hero's journeys, um, how this crisis in modern masculinity, and how we need frameworks that allow us as men, um, and women too, I want to speak just to men at this moment and to how I understand this of being a man. So I don't mean this to exclude in any way the maturation of adults generally, but to speak to men. We need to find a way for deep sovereignty and sense-making that allows us to be responsible for the ills of the world. And in order to do that, we must get our own houses in order. That's the archetype of the king. Mm. We order our house to order the realm. Right. And so and the realm needs ordering. I mean, I can't... This government shut down. Are you out of your mind? Did children...
2: Well, since we've been in this podcast, we've reached yeah, a deal. Yeah, a oh, deal. there's a deal. Yeah, okay. Literally while we've been in the, in the pod. I,
0: I, I'm unconvinced, but... You know, As you should be. Yeah. We need... Uh, <laughs> There was a tweet that, you know, you, you, you asked about the call to adventure. One of my calls of it to adventure was a tweet. <laughs> and this tweet um, it, uh, was, we don't need men to be gentlemen. We need men to do peyote and realize their core of emptiness and return to the village humbled. Fuck.
2: Now, I have a question for you. Do you think that using medicine... Is an essential part of this journey. As someone as you've described yourself as a psychonaut yeah. and and really using these medicines to have new insights go through these ordeals and then integrating that back in your life, do you believe that medicine is an important part of that? Absolutely not.
0: Okay. Absolutely not. First of all, let me say that indigenous plant medicines belong to their context in a way that we need reverence for. Mm. You know, it's it, 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 ayahuasca, and especially something that it can potentially kill you like a boga. it is not a bucket list item for the spiritual seeker. I, you know, I think that it's kind of a well-worn trope of the privileged white dude who travels to Southeast Asia to find himself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's it's, a per- the, it's
1: it's everybody's personal eat, pray, love experience.
0: Exactly, I like, I like, I like, I like mine being eat, rave, love. <laughs> <like a laughs> dude. Eat, slay, love. Eat, s- eat slay, love. Um, <laughs> that's actually, that's very good, yeah. um, So I think that it's really important that we have reverence for these traditions. And at the same time, I think that these medicines are coming out of the jungle in order to actually give us their wisdom and help us survive because nice. humans are, are creating conditions in which we can't survive. Yeah. And I believe that plants are kind of reaching out and these these spiritual traditions in these indigenous contexts are actually seeding out into the world. So I think that medicine oh, work... That is an
2: amazing way of thinking about it. Yeah.
0: Um, so medicine work, I think, is welcome. But it's, it's not the firework show. That's not what gets you there. It's the integration. You know, Iboga helped me shake a lot of things loose and really put me through the ringer on this initiation. But it was going to Santa Fe, New Mexico to speak to my father. That was the next step. And it was returning to San Francisco with the humility to create as a professional. This is the war of art. To create as a professional to produce this and then offer it to the world that's a boga. Let me just say in my humility that I, I don't think a boga wants Eamon Armstrong to be f- fixed or maybe it does. I don't know. Maybe more actualized. more actualized or, or certainly to have a great cool story so he can, you know, tell pretty girls at parties that he did this, you know, I think a boga is part of the total organism of which we are all merely an aperture of, and it is a, a messenger that is finding its way into a world that needs healing. Mm. And not a world that needs healing in a way that's wrong or bad i think all things are blessed and good we're just in a certain transition as a species where if we get it right we advance into the next stage of cohesion with the planet and we get to stay here we get to live here as a species and if we fail then we shall extinct ourselves and then the planet will continue and morph into whatever happens next um i think these medicines are our healers and our allies and they are giving us these insights. So for me, when I look at the sum total of this experience, my sexual frustrations, um, my call to adventure, my, my breakups that made me grieve and then brought me back home, when I look at the sum total of this experience, it is an enormous privilege to be charged with bearing this. And I spoke to Benjamin about... Um, do you remember Benjamin, with the, the old, the old beginning? guy in Ibiza, the, yeah, the we, wizard, the wizard. We, Benjamin, the wizard, and I, and Benjamin's on some whole other shit. He's always, <laughs> he's always somewhere different in the world when I talk to him, and and he won't, he doesn't really tell me very much about himself, but he says that his, his project is no self. So he go, he's always helping people in some interesting context, but his project is a no-self project, and it's far beyond... So I'm doing self-authorship. He's like in a next stage of, of development, which is just unbelievable. And what happened in this, uh, content-wise, what happened in the deep bowels, my own bowels and the bowels of this chamber, I f- discovered in my consciousness, the consciousness of my understanding of my childhood dad. I um, did not realize that I carry patterns of trauma in my body that actually represent my, my little boys flinching from my father. I have, a, I have a thing in where my left shoulder pulls in and my, my hips pull in. This is also part of this kind of castration of my sexuality, this pulling into self. Mm. And as the aboga was working through in my body, I found inside myself the consciousness of my childhood dad. Now, my father has since evolved. He's a lovely man, and we are very close. But the father of my childhood, and as I understood him, was um, was the abusive masculine. Yeah. the ma- The abusive masculine that had passed through my father to me. Boys don't cry, they fix shit. Exactly. And, and this tradition that we now call toxic masculinity, that is not the fault of the man, that is programming that moves through. I found that in my body. I found that consciousness, and I, I engaged with it, and I reprogrammed it. And I took it, and I said, you, thank you. This is how you thought to keep me safe. You you took the words of my father said, shut up, sit down, be quiet, you know, the poking and the thing, like, took that and internalized that, that the best way to keep myself safe and to the best service to me is to do that to myself constantly. Mm. Like, shut up, be quiet, sit down, like this kind of thing. And again, if my father is listening, I'm so proud of the deep work you've done on yourself. And I forgive you absolutely. I found that consciousness. Oh, hey, no, no. It's okay. We had a little growl from sugar on that one. We do forgive. Um. Oh, no, no. She's not. she's not that she's might be some dude outside. She's <laughs> growling at someone outside. I was like, that's an interesting point. I feel like that... Like that didn't deserve a growl. Come here, baby. If you're obviously for the listener, you are not getting the context that there is an adorable, fluffy little dog that's been here this whole time and has come up and put her head on me and has just been kind of, I feel like, facilitating Mm -hmm. and shamaning this experience. I've been
1: watching her this whole time. She's, she, she's, there's very abnormal behavior, some some of the stuff she's
0: doing right now. It's very shamanic. I found that consciousness in my being and I reprogrammed it. And I said, thank you. This is how you thought to keep me safe, but you're no longer needed in this role. But you're still needed. And I'm going to to upgrade your software and place you in the role of protector. If life goes sideways and I need to get the fuck out of there and I need to be protected, you come in and you Mm -hmm. tell me exactly what to do. And Mm -hmm. that's your job. That's So, so cool. So the consciousness of my father's the father that he could have been, the protector that directs me on how to be yeah. safe, he was that, and that consciousness was in the toxicity.
2: Mm.
0: But it needed to come, come into its right relation to me as a sovereign being that did not need control, needed guidance. And when I related this to Benjamin, oh, Benjamin, <laughs> he did the Benjamin thing. I was like, I, I, I reprogrammed this thing in my being, and he did the thing where he just paused and said, Isn't it so fascinating that in this cultural moment of toxic masculinity, this moment where we, as a culture, need to reprogram the masculine, in the deepest state of your self-inquiry, you found that toxic masculinity and you reprogrammed it. So I guess that's the boon that you bring back. (laughs) To society,
1: I think there's no better place to end than than that right there, my friend this uh this was in many ways expected but also unexpected I mean this was a total i know i me. I know you so I knew that you were gonna fucking come through in the way that you did but i I don't think I knew your gift is storytelling I mean it's just so clear. So so we, we thank you and we honor you.
0: Thank you. Well, I want to thank you too because, well, just for being lovely, but also um, life is a magical adventure and things kind of come together when you need them. Mm. And I've crossed a threshold recently into, this is 2019. I have very little runway left and not very little. I'm still able to do these creative projects. I have my podcast. I'm, I'm writing regular articles. And this book has needed coherence. I have all these writings and these journals, and the story needed coherence. Mm. And I sat down to do an immersion with my beloved. She runs an accelerator in San Francisco, and she's a brilliant woman. Her name is Marie. She can she can be named on this. Marie has been helping me professionalize my offering. And one of the things that is the most important thing for, do, for me to do right now is to take my story and, and really... Uh, what's the word for when you decant something? Will you decant?
2: Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Probably decant. Yeah.
0: Decant my story into what the book will be. Mm. And I just wanted to thank you two today because I think that we may have done that. I think we may have as well.
1: It, it feels very much as though we have, in fact, because it, it almost like this is a Russian nesting doll of a hero's journey yeah. in a certain sense. Ooh. Um and that there's there's you've encapsulated multiple journeys within this overarching journey that you've that you've described for us today, which is and a I, fucking pleasure to listen to. I love how that,
2: that answer was always there. And you again this thing we talked about in the beginning of we think it's this external dragon or mountaintop, and it was just at the very core from the beginning.
0: Well, and my answer to that is philosophically, I believe that we each are a unique individuation of the divine, where we both are the divine and the totality, and yet, at the same time, a special individuation. And I think this is kind of the Hindu version Mm -hmm. of of, like with the Atman being the soul, um, that you're kind of like this, this piece. And if I were God, I would want to go on hero's journeys yeah, the truth is always inside <laughs> you, of course. But the what's the fun is is to be God and to forget that you're God and to come back to self. The 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 fun it's is, Zeus. Yeah. yeah. The the fun the fun is to not know and strive and and have at the last moment have it come together and then return back and be like, Oh yeah, of course it was always inside me. Mm. I just forgot it but it's fun that I
2: forgot it because I got to go on an adventure. (laughs) Fuck, dude. Well, to all those listening, Amen. May may you find your Benjamin (laughs) and to the next adventure. To the next adventure.
0: Thank you for joining us for the Life is a Festival podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can support it by subscribing on iTunes and leaving us a review letting us know what you thought. Or you can share it with your friends. Please visit amonarmstrong.com, that's E A M O N A R M S T R O N G.com for more content about festival culture and personal growth. Have a great week.